Transform You podcast. This is episode 110 of our show. I'm your host, Kylie Fadams, and I'm joined this week and every week with my man, my mellow, the smooth kind of fellow, the dude who bites his thumb at thee, Cicero Holmes. How are you, sir? Peep the echo. Hip hop. Hooray. Ho. Live from Go. It's Stubby Stan, and I'm here, my friends, with all my boys. <laughs> and you... <laughs> And this is gonna end real quick because I I screwed it all up. Sorry, sorry. I was gonna. I, you know what? Stop that, my time. That high sixteen should come with some baby wipes because it was doo doo. It was doo doo. Uh, it was boo boo. No, the the the, the uh, weird thing about that is I think it's something that like Tretch would actually write now. Yes, yes. <laughs> like I am. I am. Like he would actually write hip hop hooray twenty sixteen, and it would sound yes. like that. Yes, it would, it would sound something something akin to that. Shout out to Vinny, wherever you may be, <laughs> wherever he may be. Uh, we are joined as well with uh, the man who makes gaming looks good, Sharif Jackson. How are you, sir? What's up? Also known as the KG of of the uh, Naughty by Nature Spawn on Me crew. Uh, there you go. I'm doing good, Joe. I'm doing good. You know, let's let's uh, talk some gazamen. Some gazamen, uh, Cicero. While well, while you're taking a swig of your 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 Glenlivet over there, yeah, yeah it's a uh, premium bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> How was your week? How's everything going? Uh, the week is, uh, as always, uh, very busy. It is it is a great week. Uh, you guys, uh, as I often say, should check out Operation Sports, where I write. Um, you will see an article up, at least one, maybe even two. One is a review for uh, Jack Nicholas Perfect Golf. Um, you'll see that up, and uh, there'll be another, uh, not a review, but a but a think piece uh, there. And you also may see something at Hit the Pass uh, from yours truly. I keep busy, y'all. Damn, you are everywhere. And, and, hey, and... hey, in the sports world, man, I am ubiquitous. Uh, you, sure. Okay. <laughs> I wa- I'm waiting for for Jack Nicholson golf. When that comes out, I'm waiting for that game to drop because that'll be hot fire. Yes. Hot yes. fire. Reef, yes. how was your week? My week was very good. I'm still hype off of uh, Civil War. Um, yes. You know, I, mm. I, I went to see it, and then it was an awesome episode of Game of Thrones, and then awesome episodes of Flash and Age of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm just like, all my comic book movie TV stuff is being awesome. So nice. Um, it's a shame that, that there's no, you know, it's it's like one of those times where I wish I was in the 90s and there was some crappy video game tie into all this where even if the game isn't good, like I can still, you know, play some crappy Civil War, like, you know, like uh, beat them up or something. Up, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I it, it is funny how that just kind of disappeared uniformly from mm-hmm. gaming. Mm hmm. I think, I mean, you look at, well, there was some story that dropped about superhero stuff that got crushed uh, in some way or fashion by Disney uh, earlier this week, too. But that's another story. But I do get it. It's that it's that same kind of, you know, you wish they had those like kind of side projects that got done uh, by, you know, digital, digital. What was it? What was the one that did all the ports? Digital elements or something like that? Something like that that did all the crazy uh, ports? Your, your mama did all the ports. You know what? <laughs> wow. Great start to the show, gentlemen. Wow. Wow. That just... That, that, that shit stung. It's, it's so, so close to my usually, usually my uh, I'm not really like hurt by things, but that shit hurt. I mean, it didn't hurt as much as that rhyme that I tried to put out. 
Yeah, that so. almost that almost killed me. Um, <laughs> uh, but my my week was pretty good. I got back from Oklahoma. We talked about this last show uh, that I should be back and good, but I'm back now, uh, and uh, everything was good. I got some nature in my body. I got some sunlight. Vitamin D was all up in it. Uh, I was hanging out on my on my uh, wife's parents' farm, which sounds weird as a kid from the Bronx saying that shit right. out loud. It's like I was hanging out on the farm, just hanging out milking goats and riding cows and shit. It riding awesome. ATVs. I was riding ATVs and fishing and bitch. stuff. It was like the it was like Duck Dynasty without the racism and the misogyny <laughs> right. and the other stuff. Because my beard is almost there. It's almost there. But it was fun. It was fun. We had a nice chat in our in our side chat that we usually have in our Google Hangout uh, chat about fishing and how uh, I got shaded for my crewmates, for my castmates, for, for liking nature and knowing how to do stuff in the nature. I no, don't appreciate that. It was, it was, Reef just doesn't know how to fish. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I still do not understand how y'all grew up in New York and like know how to fish. I just don't understand it. It's not like we would like Where the fucking fish? ninja turtles trying to fish out of <laughs> manhole covers. I There's like water. You, I feel like you were just like finding like big droplets of water on the street you know Sharif I don't know if you realize this or not um, but we live next to the ocean really? yeah so my version of the ocean was like the Hudson River (laughs) oh yeah well you know I mean, you could fish and, in that, and you but... were in Jersey. So. Jersey, oh, yeah. Jersey represent Jersey. Doesn't <laughs> yeah. Jersey is just trying to learn how to actually make molecules touch together. They're trying uh, to figure out how to actually make yeah. science work in the water over there. Yeah, no, no, oh, no. Th- th- there's actually a lot of fishing in in South Jersey. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. but. Jersey's a small state, but that whole like north south thing was real when I was growing up. I was like, "Yo, I'm not going down to South Jersey. It's crazy. There's <laughs> a whole other world down there. I don't want to die." Um, yeah, it's a little bit of that too. I'm sure it was. Um, so, fishing aside and, and nature aside, I think we have a really really cool show this week. Um, we definitely want to thank. Uh, Michael Block for hanging out with us last week and talking about We Are Chicago because I think that I think that show was was pretty pretty solid. I think that yeah. was a pretty dope show. Yeah, I, I would I would uh, agree with that. Uh, I would also like to thank uh, Paris Lily for coming out and hanging out with us on the second half. Yep, and uh, you know filling your shoes. I know that you wouldn't thank him because uh, you feel like there was some slander. On the second half of the show, <laughs> but uh, you know, I would I would say that you know accuracy and and factual uh, conversation is not slander. Yeah, whatever. F Paris. Anyway, <laughs> oh, no, nah, I, lo- I, I love Paris. Paris. Paris is always welcome on the show. We we love Paris here. Uh, we love everybody from GTR on the on our show. Um, but thank but thank you for stepping in because I had some technical difficulties because out in the country there's no Wi-Fi. Yeah, so. Um, we have a dope show this week. Um, I'm super excited to bring on our guest, uh, who I met. Actually, I became intrigued about his his game uh, from a really cool Polygon piece and this random video that I saw flying around the internet with this kind of really cool isometric top-down viewpoint. And it's, it's these people running around, and it looks like they're in the jungle somewhere. And I was like, what is going on with this game? And then I heard all this kind of really interesting chatter going on in the trailer that sounded like something that you would hear on a Sunday afternoon when you're hanging out in the back of the church pews. And I was like, what is that about? What's this about? What game is this? 
Uh, I looked a li- looked a- around a little bit and heard about this game called uh, The Church in the Darkness. Uh, and we have the gentleman who's going to bring that to you hopefully soon, Richard Rouse. How you doing, sir? Doing pretty well, doing pretty well. And, and having uh, lived not in the Bronx but in Brooklyn, I can say there is fishing in Brooklyn. If you take, the, take the F train all, to, all the way to Coney Island, you you'll go. see the guys out on one of those piers desperately trying to catch something in that... Uh, Maybe not the cleanest part of the ocean. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and so, then hopefully. It's so weird because okay. the only thing that existed to me about Coney Island was the amusement park. Like I'd get off a bus, <laughs> go to the park, maybe go mm-hmm. to, to the aquarium, maybe, and then hop on the bus. Like that was it. Like, Look at the parachute drop and say, yes. <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> but the there was a beach there worked. too. That's the thing. You should have <laughs> gone right. like another half we a block. never went on the beach. I only heard about the beach really? on the news Every New Year's Eve, when those people would like run in there, <laughs> when, when when the dead bodies were washing up. Right. Yeah. yeah, I used to live in Coney Island. Oh, so are you oh, serious? Yeah, 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 yeah. I lived in Coney Island. Uh, shout out to my cousin who lived uh, directly above me, and uh, we would bang on brooms to let each other know that we were uh, hanging out, and we uh, we used to play ball with. Uh, the one and only Stefan Marbury, the Starberry Vaseline ah. Eater. Shout out to uh, the Marbury family and the Telfair family. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. nice. Yeah. Get out of here. I, I never thought Sebastian Telfair would get a shout out on our show. Bassy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the only yeah. thing I know about Coney Island was the, was uh, trying to get home from the Warriors and hopefully not seeing people roll around on roller skates with bats. <laughs> that was, that Those was few worry. movies have t- tarnished everyone's impression of New York. It's <laughs> right. like that and Death Wish, right? It's yeah. like, right. No oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> and I would Wish. interview people about moving to New York for jobs. They'd be like, well, I saw this movie Death Wish. I don't <laughs> think I can move there. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be the case so bad. It's like death. It's like Death Wish and Nighthawks and 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 all those other crazy movies that were out there. Yeah, the Bonfire 70s, of the, the Vanities. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. So, Rich, how how are you doing, man? How's everything going? I last saw you at GDC, and I ran into you. Sean Alexander Allen gave gave me the heads up and said, "Rich, it's over there. Go talk to him." And I was like, "Oh shit, it's Rich." Uh, so, how you been? How's everything going? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. I've. Uh... You know, I, I had the, the GDC flu for a week there afterwards. Mm-hmm. That's always awesome. And then uh, went off to another conference, the East Coast Game Conference in Raleigh nice. a few weeks ago. That was fun. But i happy to be back here in Seattle uh, working on the game. So Sweet. awesome. Enough conferencing for a little while anyway. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm, I'm a little bit rough on the edges around, around conference, trooping around now. I like never thought that I would be that person who's like, oh man, I gotta go to another gaming conference. When did games. that happen? <laughs> yeah, when did that happen? Um, so, oh, see, did you have something? To ask? Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, Church in the Darkness. Um, talk about it. Let people know what it is. Yeah, so it's uh, thanks, thanks to Khalif for a little bit of a, a, a heads up on the general idea there. It's a uh, the one sentence pitch. You ready? It's a, it's right. a it's a top down action infiltration game set inside a religious cult in the 1970s with a story that changes every time you play. Ooh, I like so it. That's like all things to everyone. Hopefully, that old tale. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a back end front of the box quote. All the same. <laughs> I'm not known for for being succinct, unfortunately. No, I that's love it. that's awesome. So so I kind of want to dig into. 
how like what th- that kind of one pitch one sentence <laughs> pitch has a lot of meat on it right so it's a lot of stuff that you would not necessarily see in 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 many games or even companies or anyone even broaching subjects like this because people would think it's controversial or think it's a little bit too hard to kind of wrap people mind pipe people's minds around so go into a little bit of the kind of thought processes you were having when you had this idea to make this game because i'm super excited for it yeah, I mean, there were there were a few different parts to it, I like to say, that, you know, I've been into, like, immersive simulation-type games, you know, like your Dishonored or Deus Ex or Bioshock-type things, and always thought, wouldn't it be cool to do a game that feels like that in some ways, but isn't doesn't have all the sci-fi trappings and fantasy stuff mm-hmm. in it? Right. Um, and being an indie, you know, having a different camera perspective is is helpful for a lot of reasons. And there were some older games like older Metal Gear Solid or the original Castle Wolfenstein from back 30 years ago mm-hmm. um, that I thought, hey, that's a type of gameplay that hasn't been done for a while. And it has a lot of those sort of immersive sim elements that I like in it. So that was like one part that was floating around. At the same time, I've been interested in sort of, you know, radical fringe groups for a while, um, <laughs> studying different organizations and, and how they, you know, are able to recruit people into these, you know, what is viewed from the outside as crazy situations, but seems like the perfectly natural thing when you're in it, right? And how does that happen? And how do these things go wrong? And how do they not go wrong? And I just always thought that would be a cool setting for a game. And also cool, because it's sort of a, you know, if you've removed yourself to a remote location to have your, your religious cult, it's a great place for a video game because it's constrained and small and it's not like you're trying to compete with Grand Theft Auto and build all of New York or, or whatever they're calling it. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> all of so there was... <laughs> exactly. So it was that part of it too, and I thought, hey, maybe these two things could go together. And then the other thing I've liked for a long time and have tried to do in games is games that have, you know, stories that change depending on like the choices you make and you can get different outcomes. But then I also thought, wouldn't it be interesting if like the story itself changed before you even start playing? So you're like starting with a different beginning state to the narrative and get to like try to figure out what state that is and then make choices based on that. So it's not so much good or bad choice. It's like, what's the right choice for this situation? So that was Mm. something that some older games had done. Um, and there's been interesting stuff done on it in more like the academic space or the interactive fiction space, but not so much in a game that's like a you know a console game or a, a Steam game or something like that. So wanting to combine all those pieces together and you know uh, it just it just they kind of all slotted together, uh, fortunately. So nice. So so I mean you you talked about being a, a fan of cults or 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 being interested in cults, not necessarily being a fan of. Of cults, uh, <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid. But, but, you know, to me, the psychology of someone being charismatic enough to become a Svengali or a cult leader is, is really fascinating. And it has always seemed perfect for, a, you know, for a narrative-based game. Why do you think that there haven't been more or even any uh, games like this where you play as or you play to depose a cult leader? Yeah, there haven't been any that focused on that primarily. There have been side pieces and like some of the groups in Fallout, like for example, like factions you would meet there you might describe as a cult. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, right. Sophia Lamb, who's the, the villain in Bioshock 2, she's sort of a cult leader in that and has little right. people worshipping her. But there is always sort of the B story to the A story of whatever the, the game is about other than that. Exactly. Um, so yeah, no, I totally agree that it seemed like 
this is a really interesting space to be in. I think it can be, you know, if you want to treat the material seriously, which I'm, I'm trying to do, I don't know if I'm succeeding, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's hard to completely hate cult members, you know, like cult leaders, sure, they can be pretty evil and terrible, um, sure. though usually heroes in their own mind, and that's kind of interesting too. But right. their followers are often like, either you know highly manipulated people or or people who come from like some bad situation that the cult leader is has pulled them out of and has given them a slightly better situation here and they that's why they think he's great so it can be hard in a traditional game that relies on you killing a lot of people as you play it uh Mm. to maybe tackle a story like this and not feel like why am I killing all these, you know, poor cult followers or whatever, right? Um, and it's it's a problem in a lot of mainstream, you know, console games. And I like a lot of these games too, but they always have this requirement of like a body count, right? Uh, which is why I think zombies are so popular. So it's sort of like, well, I'm shooting humans, but they're zombies, so it's okay, right? It's It helps yep. that that be sort of an evergreen genre for games. But when you're going to try to do something that's like a, le- a legitimate cult that isn't a cult filled with zombies... Um, it, it can be hard to, to take on that subject without seeming like an extra jerk. So I think people maybe shy away from it for that reason. Um, and I wanted to make a game where, you know, you don't have to kill anybody if you don't want to. Um, and there's different ways to play it where you can play through the whole game without killing anyone, or you can kill the guards who get in your way or anyone, you know, and it sort of gives the player that choice to, choose sort of gameplay function versus narrative consequence of taking out some of these people. So, um, but I, it was important, you know, for this one, for an indie game, having made lots of games where you, you kill lots of people, I thought, well, for this <laughs> one, maybe this one, you don't have to kill everyone. You still can. If that's what you want to play. That's fine. But, uh, but you don't have to. Yeah. And, and, and like, I really love that like design choice in a lot of games. Like I know you mentioned like Deus Ex and like some of these other games that, you've been influenced by or or that have like helped make and that's definitely something that attracts me to those games is that you know i can if i'm good enough i can sneak past a whole area you know maybe disable like one or two guys but like that's the challenge like for me um now um one thing i noticed when, when like i was looking at the game is that i was like all right this is a game about a cult so wow so the people that are voicing these cult leaders you got to get some like magnanimous like you know really sort of believable like voice actors right to like really make it kind of pop and i saw that you have uh, ellen mclean glados mm-hmm. <laughs> and patrick lowry like the sniper in like uh, in uh, tf2 so like tell me a little bit about sort of like how how they came to comprise those roles um, and like basically, like uh, what were the things that you were looking for um, in those voices when like you kind of put the call out to um, get people to voice those uh, characters? So there, there was no, there was no audition. Um, <laughs> I, I had actually worked with John, uh, John Patrick Lowry on the Suffering Games because um, those have been done in Seattle, and they're Seattle actors. That's why they've been in all the Valve stuff, in addition to mm. being awesome. But there's, you know, Seattle has a smaller pool of talent than say Los Angeles or something or New York. Um, So I knew John from the suffering games. And when I was doing the indie thing, I knew I wanted voiceover because I love doing voiceover. I like working with actors a lot. Uh, So I thought John would be perfect. I'd love to work with him again. And there were several other projects where I'd like tried to get him into it before and it always fell through for some reason or another. So I'm like, this is the one 
And I knew I wanted to have not just one cult leader, but two, like, and I thought a husband and wife team would be interesting. And then it was like, mm. well, John is, is married to Ellen in real life. Uh, so I, he was actually oh. the first person when I started working on this, I had lunch with John and said, hey, I'm going to do this game. Do you want to be in it? And just, you know, offered him the part and t- gave him the whole pitch about it. And he was like, absolutely, that sounds great. And then I said, do you think Ellen would be up for it? Because I hadn't met her before that. Um, I'd mm-hmm. met him a bunch of times. Um, and he said, well, I'll, yeah, I think so. Let's, uh, I'll, he actually said, yes, absolutely. Well, I guess I should ask her first. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but she was indeed up for it. And they've been really great to work with uh, just because – you know, they've been, they were involved from the jump, you know, from the very beginning. And we've really sort of shaped the characters, you know, going out to lunch with them and talking about the characters and doing rehearsals before we ever got in the booth and stuff. There's been a lot of, a lot they've contributed to building these characters, which isn't something you get to do a lot in game projects typically, because it's usually, oh my God, we have to rewrite the script a hundred times and now we're recording tomorrow and there's no time to even prep it um, with the actors, mm. which, which can be unfortunate and often the actors you know like a nolan north or something or john or ellen are great at just getting a script and rolling with it that day and doing amazing stuff but i think you can get another level of depth there if they're more familiar with it and are able to like say well this one sounds weird but this one doesn't or whatever and throw in their two cents on it so that's been a great experience and and yeah i like i like having them acting together sort of for the first time in a game because they've been in like valve projects like they're both in dota 2 and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. you know they're not acting together uh certainly not in like serious material or like in scenes together so uh it's been great i mean i mean i i can just imagine the 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 recording sessions when you're going through stuff like this especially with a game that has this kind of um, malleable, open-ended uh, kind of narrative, narrative uh, crux that is that is kind of working on. Um, how how was that kind of feeding people lines for stuff like that? Because you have so many multiple ways that the game will wind up going depending upon who's playing it. Did that add some some kind of wrinkles to what would usually be a maybe possibly a more straightforward kind of reading session? Did that did that add some cool stuff to the to the mix? Yeah, absolutely. Because they. Um, you know, through the rehearsals and stuff, we were able to go through a lot of the different permutations and how it would work. And usually mm. when you're doing a voice session with an actor, uh, that's the first time you're talking to them about it. So you spend a lot of time in the studio saying, well, no, in this path, this is happening. Here we got that all out of the way, but it's still, you know, that's kind of the interesting thing about the game or one of the interesting things to me is how the cult leaders sound very similar, whether they're more apocalyptic and dangerous or whether they're just, you know, socialists who want to live on an agricultural commune in the woods. They kind of have the same dogma and the same like hatred of America and hatred of capitalism (laughs) and stuff. But it's just these little bits of it that change around the edges that you pick up on as you're playing to give you that clue of whether they're, they're going to be really bad people or just eccentric people. Um, and being able to explain that to the to the actors ahead of time, to John and Ellen, so that they could get up to speed on it. When we got in the studio, they were like, right, now I'm in this permutation. Okay, I got it, and they can go do it. And obviously, I you know try to sort the lines in the studio so that we're doing you know, the ones that are more general purpose first, and then doing the ones that are custom impacts uh, at the end, so they're not jumping back and forth between these different versions. Their character can be in different playthroughs of the game. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I was thinking about what you were just talking about as far as the <clears throat> the tone of 
the characters when they're talking and kind of the 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 non changes in how they're speaking to to people i'm sure in in their in their camp um and how that kind of plays into some of the things that i'm already hearing in our own kind of crazy election cycle that's been going on now (laughs) of how some of those things are kind of translating has any of that stuff filtered into to the game in some form (laughs) I mean, in, current, in terms of the current political climate? I mean, it's interesting because like the, when you brought up the, the idea of the game and I was when I was preparing for the show, I was like, there's been so much cult stuff that's been happening, especially here where I'm living in Oregon with all that stuff. I was like, I, I'm wondering, did any of that stuff ever filter itself in? Because we've had so much source material over the years. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting just in terms of the current election and stuff that using the word socialism for like these guys has changed a lot from what it would have been like a year and a half ago when mm. people weren't thinking of like, you know, how does this impact Bernie Sanders or, or, or not Bernie Sanders? Because a lot of people were like, well, this is just an anti-socialism game and, and it's going to be terrible because <laughs> Bernie Sanders is good and whatever. And you no, know, then I, you know, in some cases, I've jumped on the forum and said, well, actually, it's not quite that simple. Uh, it's not an anti-socialism <laughs> game. It's not an it's an, not an anti or pro anything game. It's a here's a situation. Here's these people who think this version of this thing, and they might be good or bad, depending on the playthrough. And that usually calms people down when they realize it's not like a tract about, about you know, socialism bad or socialism and, good. And then they scream, feel the burn at you, and then hang up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, I usually I find when you talk to people in a in a level-headed way about these things uh uh if you know depending on what venue online you happen to be on at that time they, they come around and appreciate you listening right so uh i i try, try to take it that way but it's some of my game developer friends too when i told them about it, it was like oh i hope this doesn't hurt bernie's chances or something and i'm like, <laughs> and I'm like i don't think wow. i hope not either because it won't ship before the election but uh, <laughs> this is part of the agenda that's the agenda. Oh, that's so good. People do like to jump to conclusions about things before they've played them sometimes. So, Absolutely. once or twice. Once or twice. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you were you were talking about how uh these people are kind of anti-establishment and and uh the way the way they view America and stuff like that. And and it, and it reminds me of some of the other more recent games that you've worked on. Um you know, Rainbow Six Patriots, which I, I would love to talk to you about. I don't know how much you can talk about. Um, Homefront um, is another game that, that you worked on. Um, but but I, I just from a from a design perspective, I wanted I wanted to know, is it coincidental that these more recent games use this uh, kind of antagonist from within motif? And and I guess presuming or assuming the fact that you are a fan of this kind of ambiguous enemy trope are you a fan of like tom clancy's the division for uh, for instance with their dark zone and yeah unfortunately i haven't gotten to play much of the division yet i played maybe five minutes of it and was like i'd like to play more of this and then i remembered <laughs> i had a game to make and and I, I heard it was i heard it it has some grinding in it uh which yes. is usually kryptonite to me uh, but I would like to check it out at some point. But right. yeah, it is something, you know, I can't take credit exactly for, you know, either Homefront or Patriots. Those both ideas kind of kicked off before I got there, but I definitely latched onto them as things that I get excited about. Uh, I just like, you know, enemies 
I think this was in the suffering too, just enemies that are not your traditional enemies that have, you know, justifications you could understand if you listen to them and the game presents that. So they're not just like, you know, well, they're Nazis. They're always bad. All Nazis bad, you know, and then that's just, they're Nazis. That's the shorthand to just shooting as many of them as you can find right here. It's like, well, these creatures or these people or, or whatever have an agenda that they see as right. And, and, is it interesting to maybe see a little bit of that? They might still be doing bad things that you need to stop, right? But uh, right. But they have a. They're more sympathetic a little bit. If they're not completely sympathetic, at least they're sure they're believable humans, right? Right, right. <laughs> before we before we move on and away from patriots, I just I just have to ask um, the the reveal the reveal of patriots back in 2012, 2011, was it? One of those, uh, the, the, yeah, one of one of those one of those twenty tens um, was was amazing to me. I, I'm a huge Tom Clancy fan, huge Rainbow Six fan. Uh, Rainbow Six Patriots was just a, a game that I was super super excited about. Um, what what went wrong in in the development cycle that led to its cancellation? If you can speak to it, if we have enough time and. And how much of of its DNA do you think exists within Rainbow Six Siege? Yeah, you know, it's still a little bit of a mystery to me, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I I thought we had, you know, that great Game Informer cover um, yeah. that went into depth about the game, and we released our what we called our fake game footage, which was a like three to five minute, I can't remember exactly what it was, mm-hmm. idea of how the game would play and, and right. what the enemies were like and some of the choices you would get to make in there too. Uh, not to say it was final, but it was, you know, our idea of, of what we were doing at that time. And the story seemed to go over really well and people liked it. That was yeah. good. And then four months later, they threw it all out. <laughs> so, and I was no longer Got on the it. project and all the fellow directors were no longer on the project. And uh, they went and did something else. And I, I don't to this day, I'm a little like, why did that happen? Uh, mm. You know, it's, every game has its problems, particularly in sure. mid-development. I don't think the problems Rainbow Six had were Rainbow Six Patriots had were greater than other projects at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for some reason, someone didn't want to make that anymore. Um, wow. Obviously, they ended up making a game with no single player in it, basically, and no right. very very loose narrative. Um, but you know, it's I, I some part of me wonders, you know, was it too sensitive subject material? Was it was it? You know, somewhere someone got spooked in the company somewhere and decided mm. this was not a thing they wanted to go after because uh, it was, you know, it had an enemy that was, a, you know, it wasn't, you know, like another Middle Eastern enemy or a Russian enemy right. or, or whatever. Mm. It was like Americans shooting Americans. And right. And it was it managed to, you know, like 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 the Church in the Darkness may do piss off both sides. Right. Cause it was like the the Occupy people thought you were shooting Occupy Wall Street people and the right. sort of more right wing like Oath Keeper people thought you were shooting them. And uh, it wasn't really either. It was kind of like both groups merged into one anti-government group. Um, but it was, you know, a little a little sensitive. Uh, and <laughs> right. at some point, someone decided they didn't want to do that anymore. So. Oh man. oh man! Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, that's so, my impression. I don't, I don't have an exact understanding of where this position <laughs> came from, but I know what happened. So, the Richard Rouse says, really yeah, <laughs> confirmed, <laughs> exclusive. Um, yeah. So, so uh, speaking of a uh, game informer, um, which I, th- I think I'm sure that it's the the last remaining sort of regularly 
produced print gaming magazine, and that's mainly because GameStop, you know, ties it ties it into their uh, store. There are still some in Europe too. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I saw that you know that like used to write for Mac Gaming magazines back in the day. Yeah. Um, so I was really curious behind that because I know back in the day, like I would make fun of all my Mac owning friends for not <laughs> having any good games on their system. S- sort of like the gap kind of between the Apple II GS kind of, you know, where that's where all the games were to like, you know, sort of now where, you know, you know, you know, like, like Macintoshes have steam and they have games that eventually get ported over, but it's still not that, um, that like level of like parody. So I'm really curious as to how was it for writing about Matt games during that time and sort of like, I guess like what's your opinion on sort of the, you know, the death of print, you know, of uh, print in games. It's a two, two different subjects, but I was never, I guess, (laughs) I guess I was in a magazine called Matt games digest uh, these were both, you know, not really professional operations. I mean, in that they weren't paying particularly well, if at all. Uh, and there was one called Mac Games Digest, and that was printed. And then the main thing I wrote for was Inside Mac Games, which was a long, much longer running, much more successful, much better uh, publication. But that was always disc-based. It was like came on a floppy at first, like in the mail, people would get them on a floppy, and then it moved up to CD-ROMs at some point, and that was exciting. Ooh. Upgrade. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And then it could have all these game demos on the disc, right? Yes. Back when that, those were hard to come by. Right. Uh, so it was, you know, it was a definitely an interesting entree into the industry. And I got to meet a lot of developers. I went to like Mac Worlds where there would be a certain oh, yeah. click of people showing their Mac games off. Um, so I got to meet them as a journalist before I then later, you know, was showing a game along with them. Uh, but it was definitely, there were those few games that, you know, Mac gamers really took pride in having, like Marathon, if you guys remember right. that at all. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or Pathways into Darkness was their game before that that was like, this is cooler than Wolfenstein because it's got conversations in it and whatever. Uh, <laughs> and it was. I loved those games a lot. And there were those few. There was this game called Spectre that was big on lands, uh, like right. it worked on the university land back in the early 90s. And they sold like 100,000 copies of that, made a ton of money. Um, <laughs> well, they, so it, it was, there was, there was few, those few games that everyone gravitated towards and sort of your, your point of pride as a Mac gamer. But those games definitely trailed off sort of in the late 90s as ever, as it just became unsustainable. And Apple was kind of going into its dark period of not having a great platform. And, and still to this, you know, to this day, I think Apple itself has a love-hate, mostly hate relationship with games. And this, like, <laughs> yeah. well, this isn't really for that. You know, back then right. it was like the Mac is a serious machine for doing your work on. So we don't need games on this. And now it's like, you know, this is a serious machine for doing your like visual design or your uh your ui work or your whatever it's not about games you know it's still kind of right. like oh we're above that uh sort of thing you know and they're more you can do the oh. you can do the animation for the game right but you can't right. play but the game play. but it does help now that you know we're doing i'm doing this game for the mac uh which is uh which makes me happy to be doing that and unity is you know uh, i think helped with getting a lot of indie games at least to come over to the mac because it's pretty easy to do <laughs> you know you, you <laughs> click a different build in the in the uh, in unity and it just works mostly not <laughs> nice. entirely but mostly and if you care at all you can make <laughs> the other parts work pretty easily so 
Nice. Oh, man. I'm, I'm happy this is coming out on Mac because I'll have something to play on my machine. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No more boot camp anyway. Um, so, yeah, but I am to go back to the other part of the question, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm still a, a fan of print. I still read my books in print. I still uh, read my Game Informer when it comes in the mail. Uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely sad to see those things going away mostly i i wonder if one i wonder if some print form will come back as people realize they don't like reading things on their on their digital devices all the time and if you want to read a longer piece it's really kind of more pleasant to do it when there isn't a light shining in your face the whole time uh, <laughs> so i don't know maybe maybe someone will come up with a boutique game magazine like a zine or something a zine plus plus that uh can cover games again and and sort of be a sophisticated like a you know it's like a ten dollar magazine or something comes out every quarter and it's like uh, it's, it's got some prestige to it i don't know I think well there could be a space i there. i i will uh take this opportunity to uh freely plug <laughs> our friend daniel kaiser's magazine retro ah. the retro mag that comes out every quarter that is a premium product that uh celebrates uh game gaming's past it's present and it's future. Go yes. to retro. I think it's retromag.com. Yeah, he was, he's for, he formerly of retro mag. I think he moved over to Epic. I think he's, he did he's move over, over to Epic. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he ran that for a little bit and it was dope. Yes. Um, yes. I'm, I kind of want to dig back into uh, church uh, and I, not, not just church, but the game. Is <laughs> I was like, wow. Different, different I want to get my big fans out and, and start praising. Um and and kind of talk about because I'm fascinated by the concept of religion. I'm fascinated by, re, you know, religio- religiosity, if I can say it correctly. Um, and your game has a, a a bit of that in it, just as the foundation, and that's something that most people don't touch. You know, you hear about religion in games, and a lot of people, the first thing they think about is a Left Behind series, and things <laughs> like that, which is. In and of itself, amazing that that ever got made. Um, but I kind of want to ask just, you know, how is it to make a game that's going to be touching on such a kind of um, prickly, prickly topic as as its uh, kind of core foundational thing that's bringing people together, at least in the story that's that that's that's there. It's a part of it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt it contributed to the feeling of it being real more than like making having a cult and they just made up a religion or they're like weird satanists or something or you know because the, the typically these groups aren't like that typically they do have many of them have a foundation in some faith that we're all familiar with and then they take it to some new place and you know focus on one part of it and take that to an extreme or whatever and it just felt better if these people were grounded in something that we all recognize from the real world um it also, you know, gives me the opportunity as a writer to pick some of my favorite Bible passages and have them quoting them to the audience. I oh, always sweet. like <laughs> pulling some of that sort of, again, bringing that sort of reality into things again. Um, and it's, you know, I, I guess as a as an indie game, I feel like you have not obligation, but I think it behooves you to make yourself stand out from what anyone else is doing, whether right. in other indie mm-hmm. games or AAA games that that you're right, would not want to take this on because it is a prickly subject and somebody's going to get offended and, you know, that mm-hmm. would be bad for the stock price or whatever. Um, and I don't fault those people, you know, who are running giant corporations who are doing that. When you've got to sell 8 million copies of a game to break even, 
you don't want to upset a quarter of the population or something accidentally. Right. Um, and we know that, that those big companies sometimes have trouble dealing with sensitive subjects that are even less prickly than religion. Uh, so I, I saw it as like, well, I don't need to sell 8 million copies to make this viable, right? So I can do something that feels more real that will really appeal to the people who are into something that feels like it's set in a real world setting and still lets you make choices about it and isn't trying to just use it for like sensationalism and, and to make it as, as sort of lurid as possible or something. Um, so it's, I just felt it brought in some reality. And I've, I've talked to people who have come up to me who I, I didn't know much before who's like, oh, I saw your game and I'm really, you know, this type of Christian or this type of very religious or whatever. And they're like, I think this is really cool. I'm glad you're making this. And I love hearing that from folks because it just they feel it feels like, yeah, this is believable, but it's obviously right. that they're doing their own weird religion thing. And it's not like you're ragging on all of Christianity or something like mm. that, which I'm certainly not intending to do so. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure that's like super hard to not. I mean, you know, it's not. No, it's not super hard if you're being thoughtful. And I know that you are, especially when you're <laughs> making a game like this. But I'm thinking like if I was in your position, I, I don't know. Sometimes those things kind of bleed in where like this, the, the tropes and the stereotypes will always kind of hopefully not bleed in. But sometimes small bits of that stuff winds up getting in there somehow. And it sounds like you're super aware of that going in and trying making sure to not really do any of that unless it unless i'm sure it's probably for effect or for you know story story beats or something like that maybe and that's i mean i was i was raised catholic um i wouldn't say i'm particularly a person of faith now but um you know my mom's still very catholic and i have an aunt who's a nun and stuff so i felt like Mm. grounding it in christianity was the right thing to do because i'm very familiar with that Right. You know, from having gone to what we call CCD every Sunday afternoon for years yes. and years and years and mm-hmm. uh, getting all of that. So I know what the tropes are and I know a lot of Christians and what they're really like and what they're, you know, not really like and the good parts and the bad parts and all that. So, uh, you know, I would have it would have been a lot harder if I, you know, made them Buddhists or something like that. Right. Because it's like that <laughs> that I would get wrong very easily. <laughs> but we live next to some Buddhists right now. So that's cool. Nice. Oh, cool. Cool. <laughs> It's not Russell Simmons, is it? <laughs> no. is, is he a Buddhist now? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely a Buddhist. Oh, that's awesome. It's Ooh. not. It's not. I'm, I'm an indie uh. developer. I'm not the owner of Ubisoft. So. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I will go for a Def Jam Presents Church of the Darkness. I'm just saying. There you go. I'll go for it. I want right, to see T.I. As the, as the church leader. Right. The... the uh, Yes, all your DLC must be bought on the rush card. Oh, man. So speaking of uh, being an indie developer and, and uh, you know, the fact that, that uh, you definitely don't shy away from that, uh, from that uh, uh, connotation and, you know, and, and that demarcation and other Asians, um, but uh, it's, it's easier now than ever before to, you know, using tools, uh, middleware like Unity or Unreal Engine or what have you to produce high quality, almost AAA level games. Um, what's the advantage of working for a ma- major publisher today and, and, you know, in today's climate if you are a veteran de- developer? I mean, I still think there's, you know, a, a, 
a pretty big gap in sort of the the resources that can be marshaled behind something like an Uncharted or a Assassin's sure. Creed or whatever in terms of scope of the game, but also just graphical fidelity, doing a lot of cutscenes, blah blah blah. You know, these are things you just can't really get away with as an indie. Um, if you're not banking on your game, that's why they have to sell 8 million copies, right? right. Um, right. So, I, you know, I think if that's the type of game you want to make, there's nothing wrong with going to make that at one of those big places. Uh, you know, maybe research the company a little bit before you go there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, lot of good places to go work out there, and that's, that's totally fine. And, you know, definitely being, uh, you know, doing this project with a much smaller team, and, and wearing a lot of hats myself, I definitely appreciate producers more than I ever did before, you know, because they, they like to, to like remind people to get their stuff done. They like to remind you to get your stuff done. They like to do the, the, the work of filling out a lot of paperwork that you never realized had to be filled out before. So, you know, if you're if you're really a game developer who wants to do your design, you want to do your art, you want to do your code and you don't want to deal with all that stuff. I think going to work for a studio is a, is a fine choice. Uh, I, wouldn't, I would not encourage people to go do, you know, an independent venture unless they really, really, really wanted to. Uh, you get, you know, I think there's a little more, you know, even even though the game industry in Toto is is not stable, uh, it's still more stable at a AAA than it than it would be for an indie. I think so. Mm. Um, and the other thing I found that's interesting working with a lot of developers over the years is not everybody wants to make their own thing. Like I remember right. when we were doing the Suffering, there were two projects going on. It's real software. There was the Suffering, which was this you know horror game. No one knew what it was. And then there was a right. game based on Lord of the Rings. And oh. a lot of people wanted to go work on that instead. And I was like, what's wrong with you people? I want to work on, I want to work on an original thing. Don't you guys want to do that? And that was sort of when I realized, no, like if you're, you know, if you're working on a big team and you're an artist or something, you're not getting to come up with the vision necessarily anyway. So why not work on Tolkien, which is this amazing universe that's already established mm. that you may already love. Like people just right. want to go do that. You know, that's something you get to do at a big studio and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. That's, that's, if that's what you're into, you should go do that for sure. So, uh, yes, the lesson of the day is independent development, not for the faint of heart. So don't do it unless you have to. <laughs> Life lessons. Um, right. Yeah, so obviously this game, as we talked about, right, cults, sensitive uh, topic. Obviously in the U.S. we've had huge, like, you know, obviously back to the Waco, Texas stuff, you know, you, you know, like two people argue that, you know, things like Scientology is a cult, you know, and, and uh, things like that. So we have kind of these whole high profile things that have had, you know, horrible results. Um, um, but is there something in researching for this game in talking to people that you found out about cults that you either didn't know before or didn't kind of know the extent, um, you know, after, after kind of doing like the research for this game? I mean, that main thing was sort of getting by the cliche a lot of people have about cult followers is that they're really weak people or they're easily led or whatever. Usually the people who join these things, um, you know, they're they're taking a chance on something, right? They're doing something non-traditional. They're doing something that probably their family thinks is a bad idea. So they're usually really strong-minded people who have like a vision for something that could be better than whatever their life is before they join the group, right? Um, right. So it was just interesting to see so many stories of people who've been in these groups talking about how, well, I thought we were going to change the world or I thought, you know, I was going to make, you know, my all my brothers and sisters better from having done this. And I didn't know it was going to turn into this other thing or I didn't know it was going to work out. Um, and, and so it's interesting to have sort of realize that they're not that cliche you have about them. 
Um, and then seeing how many of these groups too, because you tend to, you know, you mentioned like Waco and um, as a, as a group that obviously turned out very badly in the end. Right. Uh, depending what conspiracy theories you believe, uh, you know, who, who led to that bad ending can change. But um, there's lots of groups out there that have these extreme views that go and do their little thing where nobody gets killed. Nothing is right. wrong. And they just go off and, you know, there's communes in California that have been going from since the 60s, right, that are still living in some non-traditional uh, you know, everybody shares everything, little society off in the woods somewhere, and they're fine, right? They're they're doing it, and they're happy they're doing it, and they don't maybe need to convert everyone to do it. And if you want to leave, you can leave, and that's all fine. Um, so finding a lot of groups like that and finding there are probably more groups like that than sort of the sensational ones we hear about because, you know, right. some tragedy happened. Uh, and that was sort of what I wanted to explore with the game was seeing not, you know, what's the difference between those two type of groups? Sometimes it can be pretty subtle, and how do you figure it out? Uh and then decide to do something about it if you need to, but not do something about it if you don't need to. I'm surprised. I mean, it's, you know, I think that a game like this, the idea of wrapping it around this kind of setting is really interesting, but also brings about a question that I didn't think about until now is, why hasn't anyone tried to make a game about the Illuminati? Because well, the Illuminati stops it? them. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Ah, there you go. I mean, Deus Ex oh. is kind of Illuminati-ish. It does. Yeah. Well, and Assassin's I mean, like Creed and the Templars and all of that right. is sort yeah. of. I mean, I mean, I mean, stuff. but being being super specific about it, like there, a lot of people have kind of touched the edges of it and agreed oh, Assassin's God. Creed and Deus Ex. But I would love to see somebody just go straight at the Illuminati but on isn't, some just like. Isn't the Illuminati like the Loch Ness monster? <laughs> right. Where you know where like everyone's version of Nessie is just slightly different from everyone else's. And I think the Illuminati, like Nas's Illuminati is different from, you know, Joe Blow's Illuminati who's got the, you know, he's got the 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 tall boy of OE standing on the street corner talking about the Illuminati. So, you know, or the, the flat the, earth people, that's a different right, Illuminati. Right, right, exactly. And then the five percenters, <laughs> yeah. you know, talk about the gods in the earth. And um, that's Earth with an F, y'all. Yeah, that's Earth with um, an F. And the flat uh, Earth. Yeah, I mean, so everyone's Illuminati is a little bit different. It's like apple pie. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just I just don't want all my Jay Z and Beyonce songs to auto delete out of out of my iTunes account. So I'm not mentioning that. There you go. <laughs> oh my god, that would be amazing. I, I probably I probably would just ruined myself by saying that out loud on a recorded on a recorded show that's gonna go <laughs> yeah. live at some point. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I saw some random nonsense will show up on my door that'll be fucked up. It was yeah, nice right. knowing you, Kalita. I love you all. This has been episode one ten of the Swan of Me podcast. Um, uh, one, another thing that I that I kind of loved and and dug about your work, Richard, was um, when you did the suffering, um, a game that came out some some time ago. And, and and from what I recollect, I remember it coming out and being pretty well received. Um, it was something that I remember being on my radar because I saw that this black dude was on on was in this game, and I was like. Hey, there's a black dude in this game. I didn't know that. What's that about? Um, you know, there's been a lot of conversations lately about the kind of bubbling up of, a, of the diversity topic and a lot of folks kind of getting around to understanding that, you know, even we saw it uh, this week uh, with the folks uh, coming out about Lionhead Studios and then bringing up the fact that they didn't necessarily want a black woman on the cover of their Fable game. You know, how was it back in Midway bringing a game like this to, to market having a black protagonist be the the person that was going to run it 
Yeah, it's funny. I was trying to think back about that um, and how we came to that that decision. And it was not a concerted effort. And I don't think we ever described him as a black guy, to be honest. Mm. I think we mm. said, hey, what if he was kind of like a Vin Diesel kind of guy, you know, which is uh, like, okay. what is he? We don't know. And and I, I don't remember <laughs> who had that idea originally. Um we still don't know about Vin Diesel. We still don't. We're, <laughs> no. still, we're still trying to figure. Out. I, I actually <laughs> got ill break dance moves though. <laughs> That's right. Keeps his head shaved for a reason. Yep. Uh, <laughs> as do I. As do I. I can say that joke because right, I also right, there have you no go. hair, right? But uh, I I like that idea because well for a few reasons. The main one is I always like players to really get into whatever the character is that they're playing, like to really make it a vessel for themselves to be whatever they want to be in the game and to not like have a really strongly defined main character that's somebody else, right? I want you to like, so Torque and the Suffering doesn't talk. And that's for that reason is I want players to be the player. And I feel sometimes when the character talks, particularly if they talk a lot, it can be really distancing and you feel like, oh, this is somebody else, not me. And that's fine that some games do that. It's just not you know, necessarily what I want to do. And I just thought making him someone that anybody could identify with, you know, making his skin tone in that ambiguous space of like, you can see him as a black guy and someone else could not see mm. him as a black guy and that's okay. Um, that was that was what appealed to, appealed to that choice about me. And also, you know, I'm a fan of trying to get stuff right in games in terms of, you know, society and what's really going on and having a prison game where, you know, you're the white guy getting sent off to death row doesn't feel great to me knowing sort of the, the prison population is, is does that does not reflect the prison population. And it would be some sort of mm-hmm. weird, like, Oh, the white man's been sent up wrongly sort of story, which is <laughs> just doesn't, doesn't ring as true to me for some reason. I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> having him be someone who could fit in with that, you know, the reality of the prison population I, I thought was helpful, you know, and it's obviously a tragedy that the prison population is that way. Uh, that white dude must have really fucked up. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. that's bad. That's bad news. Right. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so, so speaking speaking of of white dudes, um, let's let's turn to rock music. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, another game, one of your first games actually was, uh, damage, damage incorporated. Yeah. And, uh, that was based on a death metal song called damage Inc. That's not I'm a death well metal versed. song. That's that's a Metallica. Metallica oh, is not death. Metal. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's right. it's a Metallica song. Yeah, my bad. Check my bad. you. You know. Yes, exactly. All right. Yeah, Get I your got, subgenres got, right, man. Right, right. Exactly. I got I got rock checked. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so my question is, uh, what is is um, what is your comfort music? when when it's time to create what type of music do you listen to to get your creative juices flowing yeah i i mean definitely i'm primarily a metal guy um okay and i thought when you when you brought up damage incorporated you were going to mention that i did have a death metal song in the game you did have a death metal yes song there was a band called right. death they were actually the original right. death metal band from the early 80s they called themselves <laughs> death because no one had taken that name yet uh, way back then uh and i licensed a song from them that was the 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 
title sort of credits music that played in there. I got to talk to Chuck Schuldner, who was the leader of that band who tragically died of cancer a few years later. Uh, uh, so that was a that was a cool thing. Um, nice. So yeah, that I it's probably not the best choice of music for that game actually, but I was young and it was like cool. I could license this song. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Makes no sense that it's here, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and I actually had the. Uh, my very first game, the cover art was done by Derek Riggs, who was Iron Maiden's cover artist through yeah, the okay. 80s. What? So that's awesome. nuts. It was a awesome. thing. It's funny. That's you know when you when you're you know doing small scrappy things, you can say, "I wonder what this artist is doing." I'll just call him up and see if I can hire them. And <laughs> often these amazing people are not charging that much more money than other concept people who are out there. So you're able to get them to do whatever. Uh, awesome. Assuming you have that that money, but yeah, I I definitely listen to a lot of. Um, a lot of metal, like in the the suffering days, I was listening to this band Dillinger Escape Plan a lot. Um, good Jersey band. If we want to talk about we're talking about Jersey in the pre-show a little bit. That's right. Um, <laughs> Represent. But I was also list. I also listened to some soundtracks, like the Full Metal Jacket soundtrack. I was listening to a lot, or oh, okay. the, the Psycho soundtrack. And there was some hip hop too. I listened to Public Enemy quite a bit as a teenager. Roosevelt stand then, up. Yes. Black Steel and the Hour of Chaos was was a go-to song for that. Mm, absolutely. Oh yeah, great song. <laughs> yeah. So that Wu Tang Clan, I think one of the characters quotes the Wu Tang Clan a few times. Oh, sweet. Game, so <laughs> I have to listen out for that. I will have to listen out for that. I just hope it's not you God. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not a you God quote. Yeah. You got is the Illuminati of the, the Wu Tang Clan. I was staying away from God back then because you know I was, right, was right. a big publisher. Yeah, yeah. So, nice. so I, I love that you guys brought up Damage because so Damage Incorporated. When I was in college and I was making fun of my like roommate, you know, for because like, for his Mac games. Yes, he showed me Damage Incorporated. Uh, no way. Yes, and we played this game so much. Mainly because, so like there was a character named Preacher, right? Yep. That was like the black dude of the squad. So I was always rolling with Preacher. I was like, yo, man, we got to get Preacher to like set up, you know? So like. And Preacher quoted the Bible a lot too. It's all one game over and over again. Right, right. (laughs) have no new ideas. Yeah, yeah. So, so, So what happened is like, you know. I was cheering him on, and this character preacher, like he ran ahead of the main character, and then all of a sudden you hear this explosion and just see this his body just explode right in front of me, and I was really sad about that. Um, <laughs> and my friend and I, you know, like like we're still best friends to this day. We still talk about preacher in Damage Incorporated. Wow. Um, so, 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 so um, yeah, I, I had no idea that, that you worked on that until I was doing like the research. I was like, wow, this connects to like 1998 for me. Holy crap. <laughs> you know, so. Did oh you, did, so when Preacher died, did you restart the level because you'd lost him? Dude, we were laughing so much that like, I don't even remember what happened. <laughs> after, like, I mean, we were laughing for like a good like couple minutes off of that. Yeah. Oh my god! Because that so, was the I you know one of the testers said like I can't remember which his favorite character was it might have been preacher and he's like I lost preacher and I just liked him too much so I threw out the whole level's worth of progress so I could get him <laughs> back and I was like yes <laughs> this, is, this is as a writer that's your dream right is like someone threw away actual gameplay value in order to get that character back so nice. oh my god so so you had so midway has always been one of my favorite publishers in the game 
And I know that when we were chatting behind the scenes of doing all the getting everything together and stuff, you shared almost the story that I would love for you to tell <laughs> about this game that never made it. Yeah. That when you said who was in it, I wanted, I lost my fucking mind. <laughs> Can you please talk about fear and respect, please? Yeah. So, you know, going back to why the suffering was able to come out, like, like the CEO of Midway at the time, um, you know, he was a white dude, but he was really into hip hop. He thought that was really cool. He wanted to be cool. And he was kind of cool. Uh, and so like when, you know, a slightly guy who might be black, you know, was in the suffering, he was like, oh, that's cool. I'm down with that. So, you know, whereas other CEOs might have had another reaction to that, let's say. Uh, mm -hmm. So anyway, a couple years later, I'm still at Midway, uh, I think working on the suffering too by then. And uh, this game came up that it was it was a tactical shooter set in the hood um and that sounds like a terrible terrible idea <laughs> hmm. uh until you realize they got um they got john singleton they hired john oh. singleton to write it oh. and then he, he brought in snoop dogg to be in it what <laughs> and it, there was a game informer cover about this game so this is not like some big wow. it's never been announced before thing but it was it was still early on when it didn't make it for whatever reason enough to be honest I don't know why that was, um, but it was pretty cool because you were you know it was trying to tell a boys in the hood style or a uh, what was that other baby boy was that a later singleton yeah, movie yeah kind of yeah, had that one. sort of you know singleton vibe to it and Snoop was like your older brother uh, and you were playing some kid who was trying to decide you know how he was gonna survive as a member I think you were a member of a gang maybe. Um, no. But you had to decide, you made all these moral choices as you were playing, am I going to lead by fear or am I going to lead by respect, right? And and you would uh, there would be these moral choice points in the game that would change what would happen in the narrative and all that stuff. And, and it played like a very slow-moving, like... Uh, full spectrum warrior, almost type of wow. shooter. Not like a what? not like a run and gun shooter, but like a, no, you got to hang back and got to make take your shots carefully. You can't take that many bullets before you die. So it was trying to be a little more realistic. Um, and then it had the singleton and Snoop factor. So I thought it was awesome that wow. it was getting made, and then it wasn't getting made anymore, and I was sad. But uh, I, that's all I, I can say know... about its demise. I want it because the funny thing that just popped into my head is Snoop Dogg is so thin. How many pixels would Snoop Dogg be <laughs> in, a, in a game of that ilk at that time? He would be like four really long brown pixels. <laughs> so Snoop Dogg did ship. I think he was in like True Crime or something like that. One of those uh -huh. other games had him as a bonus character or something, I want to say. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so funny. So you could find out how many pixels would go on Snoop Dogg mm. if you win. If, if someone worked on Fear and Respect and is still out there in Twitter who follows us, can you please let us know how many pixels Snoop Dogg was? Because I really want to know. I'm dying to I know. I mean, this game has got to be video. Like amazing. There's got to be video somewhere. Yeah. There's got to be video. I'm dying now. Yep. So oh oh, he did audio. No, I'm looking. I'm looking him up on, in the in the internet's here to see. Well, right. He was oh in Def God. Jam Fight for New York. There was yep. so he's been at yeah, and he was, he was right. He was in street in street crime street uh, or true crime streets of LA. Yeah, um, as a as a playable character. Oh my God! Anyway, here, no, enough is. about Snoop Dogg. Snoop, <laughs> I want to see Snoop Dogg as a playable character in Church in the Darkness. <laughs> Skiggity skiggity. <laughs> Yo, I, I saw he stopped being Snoop. He stopped being Snoop Lion, didn't he? 
Yes, he is back to Snoop Dogg. I forgot about Snoop Lion. I really forgot about Snoop Lion. Is he still Rastafarian? He f- he forgot about Snoop Lion too because of short term <laughs> <Okay>. memory. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you know, short term memory is a thing that we we kind of have as well. You kind of remember that we have an ad break that we need to get into. Oh yeah. Uh, um, so we're gonna we're gonna definitely jump into our ad break. Uh, we're gonna come back with more Richard Rouse and hopefully no Snoop Lion or Snoop Dogg. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back after this. Allow me to introduce myself. Macedonia the name, BSOT's the acronym for the website and the show you need to have within your podcatcher bin. Both sides of the surface. Hip-hop, soul, funk, and electronic harmonics that are sonically rich in nutrients guaranteed to give your mind, body, and soul what it needs. All this from the poor man's podcast that's lo-fi and approach, but high-fying results. Radio BSOT's with Macedonia. Digging our way through all of that I in order to bring you nothing but that aw damn com. Hi, I'm J.P. Fairfield, co-host of Operation Cubicle. Join me and my co-host, Cherie Jackson, as we tackle a different topic in our corporate lives and in our personal lives. Listen to our podcast at operationcubicle.net. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 110 of the Spawn Me podcast. We are hanging out with Richard Rouse, who gave us behind the scenes while you were gone the best link to Snoop Dogg in fear and respect. And let me say, it is about 15 and a half pixels of Snoop Dogg. <laughs> but they have the best digital spliff that I have seen. <laughs> In a long, and I think I think this if, if there was a spliff in Uncharted, it would not look as good as this spliff that's in, in this game. <laughs> well, because it's Snoop Dogg holding it. That's like I mean, it adds, it adds it extra flavor with an A to yes. it. And 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 I know C, not C. Reef was like, look at Snoop in T pose. Yo, he's he, in T pose. He is in T pose with his pants sagging, boxers exposed. <laughs> like it's just it's it's amazing. Like it is amazing. But, uh, I I will also say he is skinny as fuck <laughs> in this picture, but I will say respect to Snoop, um, the artist formerly known as Snoop Lion, because he is um, he is just as skinny today as he was back then, and that's that's I mean to smoke as much as he does. And not catch a pot belly from the munchies. I'm saying I'm gonna put respect. Respect, respect to you. I'm yo. gonna put R E S P C K on oh, his man. right, right on on his metabolism because <laughs> yes. that shit is amazing. <laughs> right, oh, right. Man. I have no idea how he didn't gain any weight over these years. Anyway, well, he's got to um, live up to the polygons. You know, yeah, that is, that they'll is true. hold him true That's forever. True. Oh mm-hmm. my god, I'm just gonna roll up on somebody who was like old Midway and be like, yo. You got. I know. I know. There's some swag shirts. If you still got in a, in a, in a room somewhere, hook me up. Um, so we just talked about uh, Church in the Darkness, um, and I definitely want to dig into one other question that I had about that because we didn't really get to it yet. I know we talked about um, a lot of what makes that game the game, but we didn't talk about when it might possibly come out where we might actually get a chance to play it, where we might see it in the wild. Uh, you have any info on that, Richard? Well, we're we're shooting for early next year to get the thing done, which is a little longer than people like to hear usually, so I apologize. 
But uh, I want to get it in some people's hands later this year, hopefully. So uh, not in an early access thing, but maybe at a show or something like that. So we're working on that right now. I don't have any concrete plans, but uh, do, doing my best to get some people to play it a little bit ahead of time, but then hold most of it back for a full launch early next right. year. Cool. Cool. We're definitely, definitely still excited and want to make sure that we get our chance to play that bad boy when it drops because I'm super hyped for that. Plus, I want to be able to say, I was there when. <laughs> I was there when. I was there early. I saw it all. I saw it all before you did. Anyway. Um, well, not as, not as early as, as Reef with that uh, Damage Incorporated story, though. That's, oh, that's there early. That's there great. Man. Oh, that's such a good story. By me, because I'm such a good person. Oh my god! Anyway, go go into I, I love story. I love how his ego is uh, is is blossoming. He's becoming like my Padawan, dude. Oh, nice. How often can you connect something with a good friend of yours to a guest on the show that you never met before? Like it's awesome. That is that is, that is pretty nearly good. twenty that years is, ago too. So. Yeah, it's, yeah, it was great. That, that yeah, awesome. that is that is uh, a gold podcasting moment. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is. It is Stubby Stan esque. Oh man, so, uh, <laughs> Reef, can you intro the first story of, of the week? Sure. So the first thing that I want to talk about a little bit is Overwatch. Um, so they recently had a uh, a uh, beta. It was it was close to part of it. I think it was open for uh, the last part. Um, so Overwatch is a first person shooter made by Blizzard that's coming out on May twenty fourth. Um, and you know the uh, whole I guess um, gimmick of it is that it's like. You know, it's it's hard to not compare it to Team Fortress 2 because it has a similar art style. Um, it's like a class-based shooter. Um, and, you know, all the characters have, like, personalities. Um, there's, like, a lot of cool, like, uh, voice acting. Um, and it's also kind of been um, got – it's gotten a lot – of attention because of sort of the uh, gender diversity and the body diversity of the of the characters. Basically, there's a lot of women in this game, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I played it, and I really enjoyed it. It's a really finely tuned game. Um, obviously, Blizzard is like known more for like the RTS and the MOBA stuff, um, but this is a pretty good shooter at this point. Um, I will say it doesn't differ or i think try to differ that much from team fortress 2 um it's very similar but i don't necessarily think that's a bad game because tf2 at this point even even though it's still updated the core game you know is pretty old at this point yeah um mm-hmm. so one thing that i really like about it is that they're really explicit with balancing out your team so like as you know it's like a six on six game so like as you're picking a a, a character it will say like, "Hey, you don't have any tanks on your team. You don't have any healers on your team. You don't have any long range oh, people." Good. So it like encourages you if you haven't played this like kind of game before to build a balanced team. Um, and there's all kind of like hilarious sound effects and like uh, things like that. It's not a, a gory game, so it's something that like you know that like you could play with like kids and uh, things like that. Um, it's just a really fun game. Um, Blizzard just one of these companies where I don't understand how they do it, but they just they just keep making great games, you yeah. know. Um, and they don't, you know, obviously like they don't make you know a ton of different games, but what they come out with is really, really high quality. And I think that this is just another example of that. Um, so it's going to be out on everything. 
um, except for Wii U, of course. Um, <laughs> um, though I would, I would love to see a Wii U version Blizzard. I would love for you to drop that bomb at E3. It's like, hey, like I know the NX is coming out, but hey, here's a Wii U version for you. Um, but but yeah, it, I played it on like PC and it looked great. Um, I've heard similar things about the console version as well from the open beta. So yeah, I think if you're into team-based shooters, I think you should check it out. Even if you're not into that, like a genre, I would highly advise just like YouTube it. Cause it's a fun game to watch because there's all kind of like silly conversations and like weird power ups and like effects, like dragons going across the like screen and all kind of like crazy things. So I'd recommend it. Um, I don't know if uh, anybody else here had a chance to check it out, but it's cool. I've, uh, I've downloaded it, but haven't played it. Uh, Kai, I don't know if you've played it yet, Yeah, um, but Oh, um, before you say that, I just want to say that I think it's really interesting how and I know that this is a class based arena shooter, but how it how interesting it is that this year we're getting so many uh, arena shooters after not having any for for, you know, for almost like at least half a decade. Yeah. Uh, so so, you know, between Overwatch and and Doom by the time this this recording is out, uh, Doom will be available on PC, and then of course uh, there'll be Lawbreakers mm-hmm. at, at towards the end of the year. I think it's it's really great for those people who who've missed arena shooters, and uh, for for new for new fans that are first person shooter fans uh, to really get introduced into the uh, arena shooter genre. Would you put Battleborn in that group too? The Gearbox game? Yeah, I guess so. And that right. apparently shipped on May 3rd, says the Wikipedia yeah. article. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, that shipped? Of... Whoa, I missed that. But, uh... <laughs> it's been real interesting because it's been like 2016 so far has been the year of the arena-based shooter and the, and the console MOBA, which is really right. weird. Right. So right. it's like Paragon, Battleborn, Gigantic all stuff that's not necessarily coming out this year, but, you know, Battleborn dropped, and then Paragon is already out and playable. Um, and then, like you said, with all the arena shooters, it's kind of cool to see this retro. It's like a, a move to retro in some ways, but also uh, making it a little bit more accessible for people on console. The one thing I would say about Overwatch was um, it, it was one of the only games that I've seen in a long time that's come out on both platforms, multiple platforms, where I was like, shit, I really wish I had a PC for this. I'm so sad I don't have a PC for this because I would watch people who were playing on PC and I, and then I would look at the console version. I was like, this is so slow in comparison. Mm-hmm. It's so slow. And plus, I think that the, the, the one other thing that I found was a little bit um, annoying as a console player was like the reticle felt like they didn't make it for that they didn't make it for people who were playing on console. Like you can tell that this was made for people on mouse and keyboard. And I was like, oh man, I don't like that part. Fix that, make the reticles a little bit bigger so you can see it from you know your couch as opposed to just being super close to your television. Um, right. Or at your desk playing something like this on a console if you're a streamer. It feels like there was some of that kind of stuff going on. But right. Overwatch is awesome. Like Overwatch is one of the, the games that I was like super sad that I was not going to necessarily have to play right then and there. Like I played the beta, but I was like, I want this now because it was so much fun to get into a lot of fun to, to, to play. And I hope that Blizzard has some success with that. So 
super happy with that. Um, I know uh, Uncharted came out this week. Really? Get out of yeah, here. Same I had, word. I had Uncharted no idea. Came out. Right. A little known game uh, from the folks right. at Naughty Dog called Uncharted 4. Um, and we're not going to talk about a lot of it yet. I know that I'm up to like chapter two as of this recording. I know Reef is a little bit further along and um, Cicero is still on Linux. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, FSCK minus you put respect on my name, put respect on my name. Um, but, uh, but, uh, quick, quick, uh, first impressions. Cause we're going to have a really, a really kind of in-depth show once we all finish and play it. But, uh, I know, uh, C, did you have any time with it yet? Yeah. 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 I am, uh, I am still early in. I'm at about chapter five, mm-hmm. um, so I'm even further than you, you bastard. Uh, and uh, it it's it's a beautiful game. It you know um, the the interesting tidbit for me is that I have not played any other Uncharted game. Oh um, wow! In in a in a real way, I've uh, I've played some uh, you know some demo pieces, maybe a, a level here or there. I I know enough about the characters to know who they are, but I don't necessarily know their motivations. I don't know all of the the little side stories and all the end jokes that Uncharted fans know. And I'm purposefully playing through this game this way without going back and playing the Uncharted collection uh, just to see how much of the, the story and the characters resonate with me um, before I go back and play the the previous titles, mm, see, I mean, I see, I mean, Reef. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I as I think I said it on the show a while back, I hadn't played any of them until maybe a year and a half ago, and I played all three in a row. Um, mm. So I'm really enjoying this game. I'm on like chapter eleven at this point. Um, okay. It's really good. Um, it makes me think about when everybody is talking about sort of you know this you know, potential, well, I I guess not potential at this point, but the PlayStation Neo and these, like, new Xbox Ones and, like, how, like, you know, you know, how, how, like, companies are struggling to really get these systems to, you know, really do what what they need to do. And I'm like, yo, look at Uncharted. Like, these systems, if you have the right team, and yes, I know Naughty Dog has a lot of, you know, Sony power behind it, and they could probably get, you know, a lot of, you know, money and time to make these games right, and they're not making sort of like an annualized franchise, but these systems can do amazing things. I thought the same thing when, like, The Last of Us came out. I was like, look, the PS3 can still do amazing things, you know? So, like, it just makes me think that if you have the right team and the right resources, like, you can make these systems beautiful. And, like, I play a lot of, like, PC games, and I would still say Uncharted 4 is one of the best-looking games I've seen as of late, even though it's not at even though it's not at sixty frames a second and all that stuff, like mm-hmm. it looks incredible. I guess you know what, actually, Richard, I'm, just, I'm glad that we can ask you this question because this is something that has come up recently on the show: was the whole PS4 Neo and stuff like that. And is that going to be something that at some point, like, have you been hearing conversations from the development side of of dev friends about like? damn, what the hell is this thing going to happen? Why is why is this messing up my flow? What is going on? I had a game halfway shipped and I got to do this other goddamn thing. Is that something that I, I may about? I may have signed agreements with certain Ooh. console manufacturers <laughs> to not discuss anything about anything. Um, Makes sense. 
<laughs> so I haven't I haven't heard a lot of complaining about it or anything like that. Uh, okay, that's probably all I could say about that. Okay. But I will say, like about Uncharted Four, really helps to only have to make a game for one console. You right. know, that's like the ideal that's situation versus a PC where you're always dealing with different cards. Particularly when you're trying to make a graphical showcase like that, there's just it's a lot of headaches there. It's not an easy thing. One console is just so nice. So, you know, kudos mm. to the Naughty Dog team for pulling that off again. Uh, but uh, they do have that advantage that someone like a EA does not. So, masters of masters of their craft, as as, right. as usual. Um, does see, it does it feel like the oh. old Uncharted games to you all? I'm curious. Or does it not feel like a newer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for that. She's like, That's she's like what is this? <laughs> <laughs> right. It says four on it. I don't know why. Right, right. <laughs> Quattro. Uh, I, for me, I mean, it's weird too because I'm at the point where it's it's still so early that they're still kind of teaching, trying to teach you the new mechanics that I don't really have the the kind of pop a shot out, running to cover kind of thing just yet. So I'll probably have a better answer for that maybe next week. But I think I think the the as soon as you pop it in and and start the game, it has that feeling of that Uncharted series, which seems to be a kind of bullshitty answer. But it, but it, 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 it you feel you, I don't know. It feels like Christmas morning when you open an Uncharted game, you throw it into your machine and you start it. And I don't get that <laughs> feeling from most games. Anymore. So it's not shocking you. It's not. It's like, not shocking. Wow, they really did something different here. Not. Yet. I mean, there are parts of it that I'm that I've seen so far that make me feel like, yeah, they they they're pushing some envelopes, not crazy far, but the, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like if you have something really good that you that you like, you know, and it feels good when you start it, then it doesn't need to do too much to to, to kind of make me happy. Reef, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think I don't think they're pushing the envelope at all. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think they're giving people more Uncharted. Um, more dope characters. It looks prettier, you know, for like a game that comes out as infrequently as that. I think that's fine. I think you run into stuff when you're like call of duty or something, you're coming out every year and it's like the same thing. But I think when you're a infrequent game, I think of like, for example, a game like Bayonetta two, which was basically Bayonetta one with a few extra things, but people loved it because they hadn't had a Bayonetta in, you know, in a long time. So, Mm. um, you know, I, I, it feels just like, the it feels like a greatest hits collection of the first three, um, which I don't necessarily think is a big negative because I'm not expecting it to be a revolutionary experience. Good job, good job, Naughty Dog, on not making something new. <laughs> it, uh, looks pretty though. Definitely, definitely does look pretty. Good job staying inside your damn box, Naughty Dog. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's the pull. That's the pull quote right there. there, right. there you go. <laughs> Look at the water in the pool. Um, see, speaking speaking of uh, being in the pool, um, a while back, uh, black folks weren't allowed in in public pools. What a trend! Wow. Yeah, and, and um, you know, like like public pools, some people believe that Twitch is a place that black people shouldn't be allowed as well. Oh, uh, you yeah. see what I did there? Um, I don't know so- what happened. There. I don't either. <laughs> what, what is about to happen? <laughs> so <laughs> there is a story on uh, Polygon um, that uh, talks about a a streamer that uh, 
finally fulfilled his dream of making it deep into a Hearthstone tournament. Uh, his name is Terrence Miller. He goes by the screen name Terrence M. Um, he plays for Gale Force Esports, and he was in the DreamHack, uh, DreamHack Finals uh, in Austin this past Sunday. And uh, he was he was playing in the finals. He lost in the finals three to two. Um, but and the game was being or the match was being streamed over Twitch. And, um, you know, you've got black person on Twitch. What could go wrong? And, you know, predictably, everything went wrong. Um, there were epithets. There were slurs, there were pictures, there were all sorts of things that you, um, that if you are a streamer of color or if you're a purveyor of the internet and you are a member of color or just someone who pays attention um, can kind of imagine. It was, and it was a great story to talk about how this person uh, kind of knew it was coming but how no one was prepared for just how um, voracious the the insults and and the slurs and 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 everything came at them. They had a team of mods that tried to to stop everything, and uh, they they just they just couldn't keep up. And some of the mods that were there were kind of uh, muddying the waters by the undoing some of the things that people were doing. Um, it was it was really an interesting story because it it really spoke to just how unsavvy uh, the the DreamHack group was with regards to what happens when they have a diverse um, player set playing playing things on the internet for people to peruse and how they you know and how other people. Uh, how they are able to moderate and police what happens. They weren't, they weren't ready for it. Um, Sharif, what, what did, what did you think of not only DreamHack's response to what was going on, their preparedness and, and also Twitch's response. And if you can kind of talk to what Twitch's response was to all of this as well. Bullshit and bullshit. Um, there you go. I mean, that's exactly. gonna. That's why. That's why I turned. It's a quick them. summary of what it is. I mean, look, I don't care who is streaming. I don't care if it's a black person, if it's a woman, if it's the stereotypical cisgender hetero white male. I don't care who it is. You should police your chat, and you should have tools that that enable you to like do that. If if not, you should not be broadcasting that chat. Period. Like and. DreamHack has not officially commented on it, but Twitch did, and they basically said, yeah, like, we are exploring some new tools. This is a surprise to us. So we're looking at new things to, <laughs> to, 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 like, increase awareness and mitigation of these issues. And, continu- and, and this, is, this is the weird thing. It says, and continue to take action against chatters who committed reported violation. So they're almost trying to give themselves kudos. Like, yeah, we're, we're already doing this. 
We're just going to continue to do it. And I hate that because people have been complaining about not only Twitch, but services like Twitter and Facebook, where all people do is report stuff and nothing happens. Um, You know, so like I think that this is a big failing of like some of these tools and I of, of like some of these services, I should say. And I feel like they don't invest the resources that they need in these tools because they're like. And this is a speculation of mine, granted, but I, right. I think that like they're like, well, these assholes, they're making up a lot of our uh, views and like a mm. lot of our sharing and they're kind of a vocal minority. We'll deal with the with the um, setback of saying that we're not doing something because we, if we can monetize and, you know, and keep, you know, these other asshole viewers as long as they keep like supporting us, you know. And, and, and yeah. you know, that's just, I'll own that like myself. I'm not saying that's the spawn on me view or whatever, but that's personally uh, <laughs> my thing. And, yeah, I, I, I think that they – honestly, if they weren't ready, just don't show the chat. People are not turning in, tuning into a Hearthstone tournament to care about what's going on in the chat. Like, they want to see what cards are you pulling out, all right? So, right. so like, I really think that it was DreamHack's responsibility once they realized things were – out of hand cut that thing off and it's twitch's like responsibility to give you know um companies like dreamhack the the uh, tools to be able to better moderate against uh you know against this kind of abuse good do you good, po- good 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 point okay. reef and, and uh sorry Kyle, but but um rich I'll, I'll i'll ask this of you so twitch said that they have moderated they have professional moderators on hand that are available for large broadcasts like this. And the only thing that needs to happen is that the organizer of the broadcast needs to contact Twitch. And they said that DreamHack didn't. Um, Do you feel like uh, a company like Twitch to save their image should have come in and said, hey, wait a minute, let me help you guys out? Or is it solely the responsibility of DreamHack to to uh you know kind of be responsible and be ready for the internet no i mean i think i think it would behoove a a big operation like twitch owned by a bigger company still that might want to not appear to be a a filthy cesspool of of the worst of humanity to enforce (laughs) some rules that like if you're doing a if you're doing a broadcast that is going to be seen by you know over x threshold you need to take our people to help you with that or we're not going to have our name attached to it because i don't know you get the community you you create right i mean there's there's a lot of like well that's just what people do you can't stop it no no you can stop it you just need to make it a priority exactly um you know, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't attribute it quite as much to malice as, as Reef did. That I don't think they're thinking we can make money off of these jerks, because I do think they are a small portion of the overall community. But I think it's it's more of a maybe they don't realize how bad it is. Maybe they don't realize it's as bad a problem as it is. You know, they got a lot of things to do over at Twitch, I'm sure. Uh, but they people just need to keep telling him, no, this is a big deal. This is unacceptable. You can't keep doing this. And then, you know, as soon as it becomes a financial priority, they will do something about it. Uh, and I think they can do something about it. Um, and I, I certainly hope they do. The interesting thing about that, too, is they have some like we, we all have talked about the tools, right? The tools are very right. important. They right. have implemented stuff recently that I'm kind of curious when it comes to things that are getting more publicity like this, if they shut those off. So like. 
currently they have a way so that when your archived show or recording is done, the chat is also recorded now. And it will show in real time in the same way that you have that, that people were implementing or talking about whatever's going on during the gameplay were happening in real time. So you'll be able to see assholes say the things that they were saying. Hopefully, if they don't remove that from the the stream, I wonder if there is some of that. Like maybe I'll go back and check it after this after we're done recording. But to see if like oh all this terrible all these terrible things that were said during this live broadcast are still there. How do you not go backwards and retroactively go in and have people go through that chat log and ban people for stuff like that? That's an option. Well, well, one of the things that people were saying was that, yeah, sure, you can go ahead and you can uh, temporarily or permanently ban people, but there's nothing from stopping them from creating a new account sure. and, and going back and, and doing the same thing. Yeah, but I mean, certainly for for an event like this, you know, you can have a policy like only people with accounts of this age can be in this, you know, like this, you know, it sure. has to be days old or whatever. And sure. so they get banned. They're not coming back unless they've got like yeah. 10 accounts stacked up or something. But I don't know. There, yeah, there has to right, be better ways only. to handle this. Right. You can make it sub I, I, only like like most people exactly. do. Particularly for a big so, event like this where the chat's going by so fast that you can't really see it anyway. Right. right. You're like, so what's I, it going to hurt if there's fewer people in it, right? Right, yeah, right. so I I went I went into the comments, which you should never do. <laughs> um, but I went into the comments, and there was there were there were two really interesting comments. The the first was um, that oh yeah, maybe if you make it sub only, but sub only really you know for a big event like this, it doesn't really have any have any weight. But the other was just turn the chat off. Um, you know, you're you're watching this Hearthstone tur- tournament. And the the player, usually the chat is there for the player to interact with the fans. The player doesn't have the time to interact with the fans. They're in the middle of a tournament. So there's really no point in the chat being there in the first place. So just turn it off. I think that that's a bullshitty thing, though. That's so garbage. That's such a garbage thing because that's like, like, hey, why don't you walk down the street with these blinders on, ladies? (laughs) it is it is and it isn't i think though i think that that there there is a there's a there's a level of reasonability to to that to that comment in this situation because he can't he couldn't in fact you know terrence m never saw what was going on in the chat until after the tournament was over and he, you know he had done his post-game interview and he was talking to his family when he was watching the chat and he was seeing all of the things, all the vitriol that was that was being spewed towards him. Um, there was no need for him to 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 actually see any of that because he had never responded to any of it while he was actually doing it. So, I mean, essentially, the chat was useless the entire time. Well, outside of just letting other people see it. But that is One a thought, Reef. Before before yeah, we transfer. But, over. but that is a core part of Twitch's product is the is the social part of it, right? So sure. so like th- that's why. While I do think if they don't handle it, if they can't handle it, like they shouldn't show it. But they should try to handle it. You know what I'm saying? Like right. Oh yes, yes, like, definitely. Like uh, until they get there, I agree. Like they they should just chalk it up to like sub only or like whatever they need to do but like like it shouldn't just be like let's just ignore it you know so agreed you got to work on that stuff twitch you guys have 
all the Amazon money, you should be yes. able to figure it out in some form or fashion. Yes. Um, Reef, can you get us into the next story? Sure. Uh, so uh, the next story. Um, so we like always talk about, you know, our favorite topic is conspiracies, right? We're a conspiracy show. <laughs> um, and essentially there, there was like a video, there was like a video game called Stellaris. Um, it got a really bad, bad review um, by uh, Rowan Kaiser, who's, who's like a freelancer for IGN. And of course, uh, this review was tagged as part of a conspiracy um, against Gamergate um, because Rowan, um, in the past, um, basically made some comments about Total Biscuit and uh, that kind of stuff. So once this review came out, there was a big slew of uh, people tr- trying to say, well, he gave this like review because he is against Gamergate and all this kind of stuff. But so like that's the kind of beginning of the story. The interesting part is that the publisher of this game, Paradox, actually issued a statement, you know, defending like Rowan saying like, yo, we didn't like his score, but we still think he was an impartial like like reviewer. And, you know, and we like our reviewers and like, you know, stop with this conspiracy shit. So I found it interesting that a publisher kind of got in this discussion to defend someone that didn't like their game, you know, like it's kind of like mm-hmm. this weird kind of like twisting of this, you know, cause like they didn't have to say anything really. Um, right. And the fact that like it was a low score, they especially didn't have to like say anything, but the fact that they came out, I feel like number one, it, it kind of serves, you know, further sort of the um, illegitimate claims of like some of these kind of conspiracy groups and number two, you know, it just shows that, you know, like these publishers, you know, I think a lot of people kind of like to paint game companies as these like, you know, evil entities that want to trick people and make money and and like in like any chance that they get and they have no soul, blah, 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 blah. And like I think that things like this, I hope, like remind people like, yo, these are people and they care about like their products and they care about when, you know, when things are being said about like their products that are, you know, are not true. Um, so, you know, I thought that like this was a pretty, pretty inter- interesting story that kind of covers, you know, a lot of different avenues regarding like conspiracies and, you uh, know, things like that. So, uh, C, you got any thoughts on, on, on this one? Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts. I, I think that this is one of the, the best parts of this story is that this is probably one of the first times, if not the first time that a publishing you know a publisher has come out and and basically said to gamer gators to conspiracy theories and 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 uh conspiracy theorists um and and the the fa- foundation of this conspiracy is is based in in people that are maybe not necessarily gamer gators um because i don't really know that they exist anymore but but people that sympathize with that cause or that that thought process um and and really came out and said hey look we we believe that the reviewer is impartial they're a professional and for anyone to think that a professional can't look at something um can't look at something objectively it's it's completely bullshit it's complete bullshit so like cut it out guys 
Like, <laughs> you know, we're 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 all fucking adults or at least we we all should be. Speak for yourself. And if you're not, right, if right, right, exactly. And and if, and if you're not, learn from the adults and shut the fuck up. Um so <laughs> and that was that was uh, you know, maybe paradox didn't say it that way. But that's kind of how I read it, and I loved every second of it. It was beautiful. That's awesome. Richard, I'm kind of interested to see what your thoughts are on this, because you've been on the AAA side, you've been on the indie side. I'm sure that there have been conversations when games have come out that you've been on that had either great reviews or maybe not great reviews. What's what's the kind of inside baseball on, on, on that from, from that perspective? It's definitely interesting how teams will take reviews and certain people will react to them. And then just let it go and not really worry about it. And other people will, will want to listen to them and try to learn from it. And, you know, I, I'm just, it's sort of an interesting evolution of games fandom I'm seeing mm. of this, like, if anyone gives my beloved game a bad review, they must be a bad person. Particularly for something <laughs> right. like, you know, like some big, you know, Halo game or, or Uncharted or whatever it is that's like, hey, it's a big summer blockbuster type of thing. And when you see, like, summer blockbuster films or whatever get reviewed, they don't all get great reviews all the time. Like, they get a mix of some people like it and some people don't. And it doesn't make, you know, if you're going to go see Transformers 4, you're still going to go see Transformers 4, even if the guy in the New York <laughs> Times didn't like it, right? It's like, right, it doesn't right. really factor in. So it's this weird sort of combination of, like, extreme fandom and the internet and whatever that makes people get upset about, like, a low review for a game they think is pretty great. And they can't just chalk it up to like, well, different people see things different ways. Maybe it's not for everybody. <laughs> and maybe that's all right. You know? So I, I've definitely, you know, there's definitely the reviews. There's definitely been a perception inside teams of like, well, this magazine always hates all of our games. And there, you know, there's some interesting patterns you can find there. And, you know, there are certainly slants that different sites would have. Like they like a lot of Japanese stuff and they don't like a lot of Japanese stuff or whatever it is. Um so there's there's usually more interesting patterns to be found like that, but I just view it as like, well, we're probably not going to get a good review from them, and that's okay, right? So right. Just, just move on. Yep. Yeah, I don't have much to add on this one, but I think it's I think the tide the tide changed a lot when eights became bad scores. <laughs> like yeah. like that like I remember for a long time when that became, when that was the thing was like my game got an eight. That's a terrible score, and I was like, "You're out of your goddamn mind! This is ridiculous." Right. We we have officially jumped the shark. Anyway, um, last story of the show, Reef. Could you jump us into that, please? Yeah. So the last thing is Disney. Uh, you know, uh, Disney Infinity, which was you know the game that if you have kids, you probably know more about than any of us do. Um, oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. With Cicero and. Uh, I don't, well, I don't. I don't want to speak for Richard. I don't know what his family situation is. But... I don't let my children near anything that costs that much money. <laughs> okay, sweet. It's um, not indie compatible. Nice. Right. <laughs> nice. That is awesome. That's great. Yeah. So, so it's it's like essentially a game that you know um, where you get your D- Disney characters and you put them on this portal and they go into your game and you could take them on adventures. Um, it's called it's called the toys to life genre. Toys to life yes. genre. Right. Yes. Yep. That is yep. that is right. I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that until until the story actually broke and I was like, "Oh no." That was when yeah. well it's like when when there's a thing that has a, you know, when a new game comes out and then other people will try to do that games for a while it'll be a Skylanders clone and then eventually it right. becomes its own genre with its own name, which right. Toys mm-hmm. to Life in the last 6 months or so got its own name. 
just right. in time for Disney to kill it. So. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So uh, that's what happened here is Disney Infinity has been discontinued. Um, and w- one of the, you know, there's like, there's like a Polygon article. Obviously, everyone kind of reported on this, but like one of the consistent themes that I saw was that, you know, because it involves a physical product, you have things with inventory. And, you know, th- there's like a lot of costs with like managing these like physical things that you have to ship out to stores and like, and like keep in your warehouse. And they're really kind of saying that that's probably one of the reasons that Disney chose, ch- chose to kill this is because they saw that as sort of, you know, kind of losing like the benefit of, of the actual cost that, that, are, that, that they're bringing in from sales. And there's been kind of similar conversations with like Skylanders with Activision and like Amiibo with like from a Nintendo as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought that this was like a sad thing. Um, even though I've, I, you know, I haven't used them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a big, uh, Amiibo fan and there probably wouldn't be any Amiibo if it wasn't for these earlier games that, that like did it. Um, and I thought that, you know, that, you know, the whole thing with like physical products that you really only get now if, if like you either, you know, um, buy like a $150 collector's edition of some game um, or like if you go to uh, ThinkGeek or, or to GameStop, which I guess owns them now, um, and you go and buy like, you know, like a figurine. Um, so like I thought that, you know, that this really says that, you know, maybe people, you know, don't really want these physical products anymore and like that kind of goes with the whole kind of you know going from physical copies of games to like digital right like you, you know maybe maybe like 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 the quote-unquote stuff that the hardcore gamers like maybe it's not something that's as viable to a big mainstream audience that's like enough for even a company like disney which is huge to invest the uh cost and the resources to actually marshal that around so Oh wow, that was weird. Um, th- that was that, th- that was like a puberty kind of thing. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What? What? Welcome to twelve-year-old Sharif. Um, yeah. So, like, I just wanted to go, you know, around the horn a bit and just see, you know, what 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 you guys think about kind of the future of physical product. Uh, you know, like, uh, do you think that you know that like physical things is something that's kind of viable? in this day and age um so i'll start with Khalif adams um it's interesting because and and i saw a pretty good i saw someone that i really respect talk about this as well and kind of bring this up on twitter and it kind of reflected some of my thoughts as well where i'm i'm very sad about the the kind of end of this i guess genre maybe um, because it does have that niche that it is for kids and people will have to be able to do it. anything that will move anybody away from Nintendo. I'm super excited about, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just playing, but I, I think that the other part of that, that goes along with it is I, I feel really crappy also that they, 300 people lost their jobs. That's a whole, that's a huge thing. Yes. Like 300 people are no longer employed. Right. But I think the part that bugs me is the, the plasticky part is like, this is the rock band uh, uh, drum set in your house that's in there that stays there forever until you need another one. It's the it's the small tchotchke thing that just eats up the planet and sits somewhere and just doesn't do anything once you throw it away. It's like I want them to think about these things in better ways that are more responsible 
where it's better on your wallet and it's also something that maybe biodegrades before we all die like those are the th- weird things i'm thinking about when i'm thinking about these games i'm like you need all these little bits and pieces of plastic that never really going to go anywhere because you're going to keep them somewhere and then hold them forever and then they just don't go anywhere after you're done with them so i don't know it's i'm thinking about it from the, the planet's <laughs> the planet's version of it see <laughs> um yeah, this is this is a weird one for me, I, and, and uh, as one of the, or maybe the only person who's had hands-on experience with Disney Infinity, um, via thanks uh, to my nephew, my nephew um, received an Xbox One from Santa this this Christmas, and um, two of the games that he received had big plastic instru- <laughs> uh, big plastic pieces with it. One was uh, the new Guitar Hero Live, and the other was Disney Infinity. And he loves Disney Infinity. Absolutely loves Disney Infinity. I spent, I don't know, four or five hours playing Disney Infinity. Four or five hours more than I ever wanted to. <laughs> well, actually, probably like maybe maybe three and a half, maybe three and a half hours more than I ever wanted to. Um, playing Disney Infinity. It's you know, it's not bad. It's Lego-esque in in the way that it it operates. Um but I'm I'm so confused and and uh this is the obligatory time for me to talk about being the pro-capitalist Republican on the show. Um where I say that I'm really surprised at the fact that Disney has decided to take these things that cost pennies on the dollar to make that they could, you know, they could iterate on ad nauseum and and kids like my nephew are gobbling them up i you know i know that he is not just he you know he's not an outlier um that that at 20 bucks a pop just like the amiibos and the amiibos were definitely a a uh a cash source for nintendo um i would assume that Disney was doing the same type of thing with with regards to uh, their Disney Infinity of figures with all of the movies that they've got coming out with all of the different properties that they own. Now they own pretty much all of fiction. Um, They could just kind of print and make toys forever. Um, So I'm really confused by it all. It's interesting to hear you guys talk about it as as the death of a genre or and and your confusion about it too because i don't i'll be curious to see what happens with skylanders and lego dimensions and amiibos and all that stuff um you know much as i'm a a fan of saving the planet i also think there's value in like real physical things sometimes and and a kid's connection to that and like keeping it by their bedside you know when they're not playing when they don't have screen time or whatever and they're still there with their figure it can be really you know meaningful to a kid i think and it's it's so there's you know that side of it and i'll be curious to see what happens to the genre because i think it was a case of like all everyone was like there's money over there and they all you know disney charged (laughs) in with this and lego did theirs last year for the first time um and maybe it was just too many like how many plastic bases can you have attached to your console right right Um, right so there's that i think there's another story beyond sort of all the why did they kill it was it's disney right and disney beyond you know yes they do own all these properties that you'd think they'd want to exploit but do they want to exploit them with their own 300 person team or do they want to like license that to somebody else and will they actually make Mm -hmm. more money you know sending it to someone else and disney has had a very 
and I'm just stating facts here, not any inside baseball up and down like relationship with video games over the years. Like right. ten years ago, every every Disney video game was licensed out to THQ or somebody else who would make it for right. them. And then at some point, someone decided we should make those in house. That would be way better. And it is better in some ways and more expensive in other ways and stuff. And so I think they did that, and then that didn't work out. And then they tried to focus on mobile and casual for a while, and they weren't going to do console. And no, now we are going to do console. And Disney's a big company. And mm-hmm. I think you're right that like this sort of thing is is a rounding error to them on some level. But also if it's showing negative and it's not contributing to, you know, they weren't creating a new property that could go and like have a movie made out of it or something like right. that. They right. weren't like there's not going to be a theme park ride about about Disney Infinity probably. <laughs> <be awesome>. So <laughs> <laughs> I, these, these things are important to, to Disney, I think, and what Disney wants to yeah. do. And so they they see like, well, Star Wars Battlefront made a ton of money. We didn't have to make that. We just like we just right. collected a check, you know. Right. So. They, they, I, you know, that would be, it, it may have more to do with that type of business than like the death of this genre. Like, as far as I know, I think that game was still profitable, but maybe not yeah, profitable yeah. compared to like all the other things on the books from previous bad regimes at Disney or whatever was going on. And someone decided to streamline away from it, I suspect. It was so. crazy too, because like you usually don't see the whole internet go, oh shit, really? Right. Like, right. and that was a I weird thing. I thought that was cool. Wait, what happened? Right. Yeah. I was like, right, I was right. like, they, because everybody was like, I thought they were making hand over fist money, but I guess in Disney terms, that doesn't really, it's not the same version. It's like seeing your cousin roll up in a Bentley and you know he only has uh, American cheese slices in his, in his fridge. Like, What's wrong with you? I thought you were okay. I thought everything was all right. But, you know, I'm sad. I'm sad to see that part of it kind of die off and also uh, I'm sad that I won't see John Vignocchi roll around and, and, and do his thing uh, on in, in that space because I always kind of love to see John. <laughs> John I, think, um, I think you will keep seeing JV in, uh, in whatever incarnation his career <laughs> takes next. I'm, I'm sure that he will land softly and safely in, yes. wherever, he, wherever he may you go. You could ask him about fear and respect sometime. He remembers that right. too. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's He, he like, was he at Midway Lang, with me way back then. So He, Dave Lang, Adam Boyce, all that yeah. crew. Yeah. Oh man, I gotta. I still gotta try to get Adam on the show. I'm sick of sick of him telling me no. <laughs> anyway, um, um, ahead, before sir. you go, I just want to say uh, happy spin on this really sad topic about uh, Disney Infinity going away. Is at least I won't get flooded with. Uh, spam with emails from Disney Infinity anymore. <laughs> the, the, the only thing that comes close to spamming me as much as Disney Infinity does now is the President of the United States. <laughs> oh my that's, God. That's, that's, that's the, only, the only things that come close. Yeah, I think, um, I think, I think at this point it's, it's Disney Infinity, the President, and Change.org are the people who fuck with my email the most at this point. <laughs> um, we're about to get up out of here. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for hanging out with us, man. This, this, is, this has been awesome. This is even better than, than when I first snagged you in that hallway. Oh, cool. Like, hey, come on and hang out with us on the show. <laughs> Um, before we let you go and before we get up out of here, give everyone all the places they'll be able to find Church in the Darkness and you on the Internet uh, so that we can uh, share your share your dope work. Yeah. So speaking of you know clogging your email box, I do have a mailing list for the game that you can find at paranoidproductions.com. That's a plural productions, paranoidproductions.com, all one word. Uh, or if you want to go for Twitter, I'm at Richard Rouse, I, I, I. 
for the third uh, on there. Uh, or you can follow Church in the Darkness at Church Darkness on Twitter. So nice, hope nice, you nice. hope you all do. Yeah, we'll, we'll be passing that around, I'm sure. And definitely when the game comes out, we'd love to have you back on to talk about, about our findings when we get a chance to roll around it. <laughs> if the cult hasn't eaten you alive. Uh, C, can you hit us with the social media business, please? The social media business is as follows. Uh, you want to follow us on Twitter, just go to Spawn On Me. Um, you want to find the show, go to iTunes and uh, put in Spawn On Me or your favorite podcatcher. Uh, remember, if you're on iTunes, please rate and review it and subscribe and tell your friends. Let everybody know about it. Um, just uh, go to our website, spawnon.me, for past episodes, this episode, all sorts of awesome information. Uh, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash spawn on me help us get to e3 and not ease cheese sandwiches <laughs> um that would be helpful uh yeah and uh leave us an email or any kind of message um send us an image at uh spawn on me podcast at gmail.com word and uh that would be awesome thanks a lot guys word um again thank you to everyone who's been supporting us on patreon that does definitely help we're on our we're on our e3 push uh and every dollar sent and donation that you send to us will definitely help get all three of us to the big show the really big show really big show <laughs> um so we're gonna peace out for this episode again this was episode 110 of the spawn of me podcast and we will say peace, peace. peace.